we often pause and pray when a national or international tragedy happens. But I don't want us to overlook the fact of the consistent and ongoing violence in our own city. Um, As has been typical Fourth of July weekends in the past, uh, the violence in Chicago, it's no different this year. Over an eight-hour period last night, 30 people were shot. Seven-year-old was killed. Uh, This past Friday, a teenager was killed in the same park named after another teenager who was killed by violence. I think it's important for us to pray as many of the churches uh, impacted by this and the families and the pastors uh, we're ministering uh, during this time. So let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we come to you and we ask for mercy. We ask for grace. We open our hands and look to you and you alone. And may we realize that uh, across many churches in Chicago on this day, there is a lot of grieving. And may we grieve alongside of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. May you comfort those who are suffering. May you give wisdom to the pastors who are addressing your word in these contexts. May your great grace give them hope to live, to move on another day, and to abide in you. Through it all, may you be evident, and may you be somehow, in ways that we don't understand, glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this weekend, usually people from our church are gone all around the world. And if you go to our church and you're here, I'm surprised to see you. And people are from out of town coming to visiting. And so we're going to do something a little different this morning. What we typically do is we go through books of the Bible. We're going through 1 Samuel right now. That's why I have the crown here talking about authority, kingship, leading to the kingship of Jesus. Just pretend like that's not here this morning because we're going to take a break from 1 Samuel and I want to revisit a topic I have spoke on before concerning our, you ready for this, our words. Sometimes I feel like we need to speak on topics more than once, especially those that we have a hard time um, conforming to Christ. Does anyone in here have issues with their mouths? Does soap tend to fix that? No. As I am preaching before you this morning concerning our words of the conformity to Christ, uh, I must say I stand as one who often finds that I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. I have had uh, some interactions with my wife this week where my words were not very Christ-like. Any husbands with me? I've had some interactions with my kids this week where my words were not Christ-like. Any parents with me? We all see how our words fall short to the conformity of Christ. 
And we all want our hearts changed as we get into God's Word. So let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12. It's in the middle of your Bible. If you can't find it, look in the table of contents. Look on the person next to you. Before we get into this passage, I want to kind of give you some markers or some things to look for in this unit that has to do with our words. It begins and ends with the speech of the wise person and the speech of the foolish person. Which one are you? Are you the wise person or are you the foolish person? And to kind of keep you organized, we should consider the wise and the foolish person. I'm going to break it down into two sections. Let me just go ahead and put these up for you. Part one is going to be foolish words versus wise words, verses 16 through 19. And then part two will will show us that these words come from the foolish heart or the wise heart in verses 20 through 23. We're just trying to kind of keep you organized as we go through this passage. Let's go ahead and stand as I'm going to read it. Proverbs chapter 12, starting in verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous. But the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. You may be seated. This past spring, I was called to jury duty. Again, I have no idea why in my adult life I've been called to jury duty so often. I show up, I go through the routine, most of the time I don't get picked, but I have been picked to be on two trials. Perhaps you've been on a trial before, maybe you've participated in a trial before, or you have just watched a trial on TV. I want you to think about uh, the importance of words in a courtroom During a trial, every word counts. The wrong word could lead to a mistrial. The wrong word could make one a contempt court. The wrong or right word could influence the jury in a negative or positive manner. If you're in a courtroom, every word counts. The same holds true in the sight of God. As we live before God, every word that we say that comes out of our mouths counts. Every word counts. God will hold us accountable for our words. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 12, 36 through 37. He says this. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
That's courtroom language. We see a rendering of judgment based upon words because every word counts. And we'll see how that plays out, that the heart of the righteous person expresses righteous words. The heart of the fool expresses foolish words. And since every word counts, then we want to make sure that every word that we speak in our lives counts. And we want to make them count. Are you ready for this? We want to make our words count for the good of others and the glory of God. We want every word that we speak to count for the good of others and for the glory of God. And I'm hoping today is going to be an encouragement that God can change your words because God can change your hearts. So let's start with part one, foolish words versus wise words. Look at verse 16 again. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. I have, uh, am more familiar with and I have memorized the NIV version of Proverbs twelve sixteen, where it says a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. The foolish person is immediately displaying their irritation. Anyone like that in here? Ah, I see a lot of hands. I don't know. Not me. I'm with you, though. We can show our annoyance for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of circumstances and interactions where people can set you off throughout the day. Paul Tripp, in a book he wrote called War of Words, he gives this example of uh, an interaction he had with his teenager. And it's a, it's a, it's a made-up example. It's kind of a humorous example. He's had so many interactions with this teenager that he wanted to kind of compile them all together, and he created this story. And he says, this is what is common in his household. It's Thursday night, 10.30 at night. Teenager comes to him, Dad, I need some help. I have a science project due tomorrow. Now the dad, very irritated, but he's trying to stay cool because he's a Christian. Uh, and the kid has known about the science project for weeks, but tries, the dad tries to stay calm. He says, okay, what do you, you need? The boy says, I need some poster board. Because every science project, some, some reason, needs poster board. And the, dad, the dad's a little irritated. says, okay, I'm sure we can throw together some cardboard around here and make it look like poster board. What else do you need? And this, the boy says, I need some markers. And the dad is getting more irritated, but he figures that he can pour some water on some dried markers and make them work. And and the boy uh, could see his dad is getting irritated, and the dad's like, well, what else do you need? And so the boy says tentatively in a frightened mumbled, I also need 12 baby chickens. And the dad just totally loses it and says, oh, oh yeah, told baby chicken, I'm just going to go down to the all-night chicken store and pick out a fresh dozen. There, there are examples like this where there are a variety of situations throughout the day that have the potential to set you off. Perhaps you are set off in your driving. I don't want to drive with some of you. That's why I ride my bike to work. I don't want to be set off in my driving. Some of you are set off from your coworkers or your kids. And we always act like that parents are set off by their kids, but kids can be set off by their parents as well. 
There are a variety of reasons and ways that we can go off with our words. But also, sometimes people may come at us with insults. Sometimes people may come at us with verbal attacks. And when this happens, we are told in our verse here that the prudent man ignores an insult. How do you do that? When someone messes with you, disses you, says something not quite right to you, how do you overlook an insult? And someone pushes the lever even further and maybe starts cursing you or or saying negative things about you, maybe behind your back, maybe to your face. How do you do that by ignoring an insult? For real, are we really supposed to do it? It just seems natural to go off on somebody. So how can we, as Christians, pull back and show restraint? I want you to remember that when you read the book of Proverbs, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're reading it as a Christian. And as we read as Christians, I think we must reflect on the example of Jesus. So I'm going to slow down a bit this morning, and I want us to uh, reflect on the example of Jesus as outlined in 1 Peter. No need to turn it there. I'll put these verses up for you. I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus, in, in a passage in 1 Peter, Peter instructs these um, people within the church for the servants to obey their masters even when their masters are wicked. So when their masters lash out at them and for doing, uh, even for doing good, the, the servants are to show restraint and not snap back. And the question is, how do you do that? And the answer is in 1 Peter Chapter 2. Let me put it up for you. 1 Peter 2.21. This is what Peter says. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Now, ask, let me just pause for Theologically, as Christians, we always say, we're just not here to follow the example of Jesus. We're here to let Jesus save us <laughs> through his work. But we also follow his example. And here is a great example of following his example. Because Peter says, so that you may follow in his steps. That's the example. So God has called you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in the way that you use your words. And you were to imitate him when you were responding to wrongs. Keep looking at the Peter passage. Let me put up 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus never sinned with his words. When he suffered at the hands and at the words of sinful men, he didn't strike back, but he remained silent. And how did he do that? Well, that verse says he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So when you pull back on your response to when someone's insulting you, when you show restraint when others are trying to go off on you, you're not trying to say, hey, look, I'm going to play God and I'm going to crush you. You're like, you know what? I'm going I'm to entrust myself to God. Someone is coming at me. Someone is attacking me. But I'm going to entrust myself to God and I'm going to show restraint with my words. And the word of God says you have the ability to do that. Look at the last verse in Peter. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. My brothers and sisters, I'm trying to tell you that you are not destined for sinful responses. You may think you have absolutely no control over your mouth and that when someone goes off on you, you've got to lash back. But we have to learn and understand that we can entrust ourselves to God. God can take care of whatever he wants to take care of. We entrust our attitudes to him. And for those of us who believe, we believe we have died to our old ways of functioning. I know some of you come out of some very dysfunctional families where words are just flying around on a daily basis and that's all you know. And so you come off to college or you get married and you're functioning like your old self and your childhood home where you guys just go off on one another. I'm telling you, if you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible says you have died to that old way of life. You're now filled with the spirit and you can, by God's grace over time, walk in a new way of doing things. If you think you're destined for your childhood responses going forward in your life, then where's the hope of change? We believe, trusting in Christ, we have died to our old ways, filled with the Spirit, and we can change our words going forward. That's hopeful, giving you hope. Let's keep going. Let's go through this passage in Proverbs some more. Verse 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Once again, we're in a courtroom. In order for a judge to make right decision, people need to be telling the truth. And the one who gives truth gives honest evidence. Whatever speaks in line uh, with lying is bearing false witness, the distorting reality. And the person is misleading and trying to throw off the judge. When we lie, obviously it hurts other people. We can leave destruction in our path. But we believe if we've been converted in Christ, he can change our hearts. We can be those who now speak the truth in love no matter the circumstances. Keep going. Look at verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Has anybody ever said something to you maybe recently? It just felt like the sword is going in you. That's that's what it's like with rash and reckless and thoughtless words can be like taking a sword and, and running it through someone. Your words can be used to kill somebody. Isn't that weird? Don't you just think about that? Your words are that harmful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never, whatever. Words hurt, right? They hurt. And you can use them like a sword, and you can pierce someone else. But you also, you can speak truth. You can speak words that bring healing. The, the tongue of the wise can bring healing, can bring reconciliation. Words can encourage and build others up. You can go, you can go either way. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You, you, your words today can be full of death, or they can be full of life. Consider this passage from Ephesians. Ephesians is a good passage to memorize. Ephesians 4.21 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Take that verse, memorize it, put it in your heart. I'm not into tattoos, but get a tattoo. I mean, just where so you can see it constantly on in fr- everywhere. 
Can you imagine if you used your words only for building people up? That when you spoke, it was encouraging someone else, never tearing them down, never sword thrust. Can you imagine actually speaking that way? Several years ago, I went in to see a very wise old man who was trying to help me speak better. And I don't mean public speak. I mean from the heart and relationships. And he gave me a grid. In fact, he gave me four questions that he wants me to work through before I say anything, before I talk, before a word comes out of my mouth. I need to ask myself four questions, and I'm going to pass this on to you, and this is gold right here. What I'm about to give you, this this is good. You ready? Question number one, before you talk, ask, will it help? What I'm about to say, is it going to be helpful? Is it going to help the other person? Will it help? Question number two, is it designed to hurt? The words that are about to come out of your spouse, out of your mouth towards your spouse, towards your friends, towards your enemies, towards your kids, is it designed to hurt? Some of you can craft just the right words that are designed to hurt. Third question. Would I say that if that person were here? And I, I like that one really good because you know that's talking behind someone's back. If you're talking to someone else about someone else, would you say that if that other person were here? And the last question is, number four, is it self-seeking? Is it going to focus on me and how awesome I am? Is it going to be a proud statement? I mean, you take those four questions, you create a grid through all your words. What I'm about to say, is it going to be helpful? Am I going to hurt somebody? Am I going to talk behind someone's back? In fact, am I going to just build myself up and just say how awesome I am? And wouldn't it be great if all of us started talking our words through this grid, these questions? Let's keep going. Proverbs is not done with us in our mouths. Verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Isn't that interesting that when we lie, when we have foolish speech, it's just just for the moment to get us out of a jam. It's just for the moment to, to release us from our temporary tension. But it says truthful lips endure forever. Truthful speech will last forever. Another way to say this is that The mouth, the mouth reveals the destiny of a person because the mouth is connected to the heart. And what we believe as Christians is that Jesus changes the heart, which will produce fruit. And so if your mouth is never producing fruit, but always spilling trash, you have to really wonder if you know Jesus. Because we are not saved by our works, we're saved by grace, but that grace transforms our hearts, and out of our hearts will now spill healing words, encouraging words. And from time to time, we, yes, still say foolish words, but the mouth is connected to the heart. It reveals the person's destiny. So we're not just talking about words, how to change your words, we're basically going to talk about how to change your heart. And only God can change our heart, and when God changes our heart, it changes our words. So if you're just trying to fix your mouth, not going to work. You've got to go with what's going on in your heart. 
Which brings us to the second portion here, part two, foolish heart versus wise heart. Look how Proverbs gets at the heart. Look at verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. And here we have mouth. Your mouth is controlled by your heart. Deceit, what comes out of your mouth is from your heart. Your heart uh, will be shown through your mouth, and your mouth will give your heart away. Jesus put it like this. I I love this one in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil treasure, evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Here we go. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Good or bad speech comes from the heart. We can tell what's coming out of a person by their speech, and we can see their hearts by observing their words. If there is a planned attack, if there is deceit, if there is evil spilling out of the mouth, we know that something's not quite right with the heart. Paul Tripp, he puts it like this. He said, word problems reveal heart problems. The people and situations around us do not make us say what we say. They are only the occasion for our hearts to reveal themselves in words. I always push back against that statement but because I, I always say, look, If that other person wasn't in my life, I wouldn't say what I'm saying. You ever say that? Like, you're the one that made me say that. If I didn't know you, if you didn't come across my life, I wouldn't be saying those things. Oh, yes, you would. Someone else would just make you say them. Word problems show that there are heart problems. If you see that your kids are discontent, If you see that your kids are complaining and griping, that's not a word problem. That's a heart problem. Kids, if you see your parents going off, if you see your parents saying negative things, complaining all the time, that's not a word problem. That's a heart problem. We're not just talking about what's coming out in our words. We've got to go back and say, okay, what is going on in our hearts? And I I, I would say over and over again, the only way to change our hearts is as we move closer and closer to Christ, as we repent, as we find forgiveness in Jesus. But I want to make sure you get this. I am not just asking Jesus to forgive my sin. I'm asking God for help to move forward and take my negative words and change my heart so they're spilling something good. So I'm not just telling you don't say bad things. I want to encourage you to start thinking through actually planning Good things to say. Can we look at verse 20 again? It says, but those who plan peace have joy. So we see the seed is in the heart, and that comes out. But those who plan peace have joy. So the opposite of the one who devises evil is the one who plans peace in their heart. They plan and plot reconciliation and building others up. Derek Kidner says, the plans you shape, shape you. So if you're having difficulty with someone, if you're having difficulty speaking with someone, then I'm going to tell you this. Why don't you plot, plan, and pray peace for them? If you're having difficulty with someone with your words, why don't you plot, plan, and pray peace for them? 
Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So don't just try to restrain your words and not say something bad to someone. How about start planning peace for them, praying peace for them, plotting peace for them. So we're not just trying to put off the negative, but we're putting off the negative and putting something on, which would be the positive of planning and plotting and praying peace for others. Keep going. Verse 21. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. As a pastor, I read a variety of books. I even read books uh, written by women for women because I want to see what the Christian world is producing just all around. And And a good book is written by Lydia Brownback where she is encouraging women not to tell half-truths, white lies, or anger-generated vows. She's encouraging women not to tell half-truths, white lies, or anger-generated vows. So she says to the ladies, if one of your friends asked you, do I need to lose weight? And if they do, tell them. Don't just try to make them feel good in the moment. And when she says to the ladies, if you said you were going to discipline your child, then follow through and do it. And if a co-worker says that they're skipping work in order to take a day at the beach, don't say it's a good idea if you don't think it's a good idea. She says, as godly women, we want to speak the truth in love. We don't want to be filled with half-truths, white lies, or anger-generated vows. We want to those who speak and act faithfully to the Lord. Finish up with the last verse. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The fool does not have knowledge but blabs out. Even when you find a fool that has knowledge, they may give you the right words at the, right, at the wrong time. They may be like a know-it-all. You know any know-it-alls? Where they just they want to chime in on everything. Anybody like that? But the wise person is not blabbing or trying to fix every situation are trying to give his opinion on every issue. You don't have to give your opinion on every issue. Really, you don't. They are just waiting for the appropriate time to express it. And the prudent person will speak only at the right time. Consider Proverbs 10.19. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It's almost as if the main lesson from today is to be quiet. Stop talking so much. The more words you say, the larger chance of getting yourself into trouble. And when you do speak, you need to learn to speak with a filter. You need to filter your words for the good of others and the glory of God. So when you're in a tense and a hard conversation, 
Filter your words for the good of others and the glory of God. When, when you're in a situation that's a hard conversation you're about to have with your spouse, your, your kids, your roommates, your teachers, st- think about how can I filter my words where they are for the good of others and for the glory of God. But here's the problem. Our, our filters, our hearts, are often clogged and dirty. We want to make every word count for the good of others and the glory of God, but we find that, that our heart filter is a bit clogged. That's why we need to keep coming back and turning our hearts and our mouths over to the transforming work of Jesus. Jesus never wasted a word. Jesus never sinned with his mouth. Jesus made Every single word count for the good of others and the glory of God. But I want you to think about Jesus. He's on the cross. And after using all of his words for the good of others and the glory of God his whole life, I want you to think about the words that the Father said to his son Jesus on the cross. Well, let me tip you off previously. At the baptism of Jesus, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration of Jesus, the Father said again, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Surely, the words from the Father to Jesus on the cross would be greater because Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinned with his words. So what words did Jesus get from the Father on the cross. None. Timothy Keller says that um, Jesus got the silent treatment. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father is pouring his wrath out on the Son because of your sin my sin, your words, my words, your heart, my heart. And because Jesus got the silent treatment on the cross, he was buried and rose again, the good news is all of us who put our faith in Jesus are not going to get God's wrath for our words. We're not going to get God's wrath for our sins. We get Forgiveness. In fact, God's, the Father's word to us are pleasing, daughter, I love you, son. How could people with such wicked mouths and wicked hearts get such good words from the Father? It's because Jesus got the silent treatment and the wrath of the Father in our place. And when you get that, that will change your heart When you embrace that by faith, that will soften your heart. That will change your heart, and that in turn will change your words. And the more and more you come back to the cross, and you see that Jesus took the punishment for your words, for your sin, and you get forgiveness and approval by the Father through faith in Jesus, it will tend to make more and more of your words count for the good of others and the glory of God. This past week, uh, a very close friend of my wife, myself, my kids, she passed away this past week and went to be with Jesus. We knew her for about 18 years. 
uh, which when we were living in Santa Monica, we, we often referred to her as our kids' California grandma, though there was no uh, blood relationship. She would encourage us with her words uh, constantly. And over the years, she would send letters to us in the mail constantly. We would get letters on our birthdays, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day. We would get letters on random days. We would get letters from her dogs. Her dogs would even be encouraging. She would write on behalf of her dogs. To, I guess she had ran out of words. She had to put words in her dog's mouth. I don't, this woman was amazing, very encouraging. Her name was, her name was Kay Kleiman, and this past week, um, she went to go be with Jesus. But while she was here, she made sure her words counted for the good of others and the glory of God. And I, I, I see her example following the example of Jesus, and I, I want to live that way. And I'm sure you do too. Or we make every word count for the good of others and the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing that we can come before your word and admit the fault with our mouths, the fault with our hearts. And too many times we want to act like it's other people's faults. We want to act like it's our kids, our spouses, parents, relatives. We always try to act like it's someone else. Lord, it's our words coming out of our heart. And may we own our words and own our heart and find that in Jesus there is forgiveness and ability to change. And if there is anybody here, Lord, who is discouraged, they feel like no matter what, they just can't seem to change their words. The patterns that they have adopted from a young age is still with them today. I just ask that you would show them that those patterns can be broken at the cross of Jesus. Show them that their hearts can be broken at the cross of Jesus. Their words can be transformed. May they not give up hope. May they keep coming back to the forgiveness in Jesus, the transforming power in Jesus to change our hearts and to change our words so they really can be beneficial for others, and they really can give you glory. Encourage us today. Give us hope today that in Jesus there is, there is great change that is possible. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.